Good morning, and uh, Happy New Year's. Yeah, yeah, I figured that would be all's reaction. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Y'all kind of seem to be wondering if the guy standing up here is as crazy as his hair, right? Come on, Garrett. We just had Thanksgiving a couple days ago. It's not New Year's. Well, didn't y'all know? This Sunday marks the start of the season of Advent. That's why this table's up here. Okay, still a couple blank stares. If y'all are going to fall asleep on me this soon, I'm really going to need to ramp this up, right? (laughs) All right, well, for those of y'all that don't know, Advent is a four-week period that is supposed to prepare us for the birth of Christ. And it starts the new year for the church, hence, Happy New Year's. Now, Advent is also known for being a season of hope. In the same way that the Israelites hoped for the birth of the Messiah and Jesus was born, we are hopeful for the arrival of Christ in this world, again, with a similar response. So, in keeping with the tradition of Advent, that's what my sermon's going to be about, hope. But hope is a very broad topic, right? So, then I'll narrow it down a little bit. The hope I will be talking about today is a hope of two parts. A hope for salvation and a hope that the future will be a little brighter. Now the Bible gives us many stories of hope, but I want to look at one of the most unlikely of those stories that comes with the introduction of Saul. Now first things first, let me clarify. I don't mean the Old Testament Saul, you know, the unfaithful king of the Israelites. I'm talking about the Saul that became Paul, the Saul that was feared by Christians throughout the land. He would have been public enemy number one, someone that should be avoided at all costs if you're a Christian. Now, the first time we see Saul in the Bible is at the end of the seventh chapter of Acts when Stephen was getting stoned. Saul was watching this happen, and the first verse of the eighth eighth chapter reads, And Saul approved of their killing him. So right from the start, the Bible sets Saul up as a terrible person, or at the very least, someone that isn't afraid to get their hands dirty if it means getting the job done. I mean, who could watch a person be stoned and approve of it? Skip ahead to the beginning of chapter 9. Saul was was hunting for Christians while on his way to Damascus, when a light came out of the sky and flashed all around him. When he was in the light, Saul heard God's voice, and it asked him in verse 4 why Saul was persecuting him. When Saul asked who was speaking, the voice responded again, saying, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now let's pause there for a moment and just imagine. Your chosen profession is persecuting people, And one day, you are accused of persecuting the God of those people by their God, who also happens to be the same God you call your own. You also believe that he is a just God that punishes the wicked, like in Judges, when he punished those people that persecuted his people. (laughs) If this was a dream, I would have wet the bed. Now, We all know where the story goes from there. The Lord tells Saul to head into Damascus, and when he opens his eyes, he's blind. And he stays blind 
for three days and three nights. Then the disciple Ananias cured his blindness. And Saul immediately got up and was baptized. The Bible says he had seen the error of his ways. Now from then on, Saul was a changed man. He threw himself into his new work, studying with the disciples in Damascus and vigorously preaching the word of God to any and all that would listen. And the people that heard and saw him were confused, naturally, because they knew him to be a persecutor of Christians, not a Christian himself. And not long after that, Saul's name was changed to Paul to symbolize the change that had happened within him. Then, in an ironic twist of fate, Paul even went on to blind a man with the power of the Holy Spirit that he claimed knew to be perverting the word of God. I think Paul was an expert on that subject, so I'm going to trust his judgment. And with this act, his transformation into one of the most important figures in the Bible was complete. As we know, he became a massive influence in the church, and his letters went on to make up numerous books in the New Testament. Now, I know what you're thinking. Powerful though it may be, this story really doesn't have anything to do with hope. I mean, this story is more about the awe-inspiring power of God, how he can turn even one of his greatest enemies into one of his most devout followers, right? Well, I'd like to see if I can change your mind. Now, this story is 100% about the power of God. Of that, I have no doubt. I'm not trying to change your minds there. But in my opinion, this is a story filled with hope because it is filled with faith. A new faith. The faith that Paul gained when he accepted God and Christianity as his own. Now to me, faith and hope are very similar concepts because they both operate without proof of any kind. They're based on trust, and because of their similarities, faith and hope often work hand in hand. Now Saul, he put his faith in his work. Whatever he hoped for, whether it was favor with his people or favor with God for persecuting those who would slander his name, he hoped that the work he did would earn him his reward. However, it was not until Saul was struck blind that he realized Jesus and his grace were his only real hope at salvation. From then on, as we just saw, Saul was a changed man. And why do you think that is? Well, it's because he placed his hope in something else. He placed his hope in someone else. You see, from the moment that Saul realized his mistake, he immediately began living with a seemingly impossible hope. Once he knew that the life he had been leading was the furthest from God, he began to hope that he could be forgiven for his actions. A dangerous hope, some might say, because how could actions as terrible as his be forgiven? Well, in human terms, it cannot. At least for me, I don't believe I could accept him as a Christian without hard proof that he was a changed man. I'd be suspicious that this was just a ploy, you know, a plot to expose every Christian and then round them all up in one fell swoop. And then, 
Even if I did receive my proof, I'm not entirely sure I could forgive the terrible acts he committed. Naturally, those suspicions must have come to him like they come to all of us. Whenever we do something bad, we worry that people won't forgive us. And so, at least, I throw myself into making amends, hoping against hope that our new actions can make up for our previous mistakes. And I kind of get the sense that that is what Paul is doing here. See, he began to hope for a future with God and for his salvation. And you can see how the new hope worked in his life, how he threw himself into his new role as God's instrument. It was his hope that gave so much power to his words, the hope that even the terrible things he had done would not keep him from his redemption. But his hope wasn't hopeless. Like I said, forgiveness in human terms was nigh impossible, but forgiveness on God's terms? Well, that's a whole different story. And Paul realized that almost immediately. He recognized that God had called him to something greater, regardless of his past and the sins that stained it. And following that train of thought, he recognized that he had a new hope for the future. And now God is calling all of us to hope just as he called the newly renamed Paul to hope. Because you see, we're a lot like Saul in more ways than you may think. Now, I doubt many of us have persecuted people, but we've all done things that we aren't proud of. I'll be the first to raise my hand there. What we've done can bog us down and make us feel like we aren't worth forgiving. But that is what is so amazing about God's message of hope. Despite the terrible things we may have done, it isn't foolish to hope that those worst parts of us are redeemable. So what now? Well, now we know that, there, that it isn't too much of a stretch to hope that we are redeemable despite our terrible actions, but where do we go from there? Well, now we look to the future. If we look at Paul later in his life, we can see his vibrant hope for the future that God has planned for him. Even at the beginning of his ministry, Paul was beset by hardships. There were many among the Jewish people that despised him for becoming a Christian. And so these people plotted to kill him. But in Acts chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, we learn that Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Amazing, right? Amazing how God provided for him like that? There was danger, sure, but I mean, no harm came to Paul. And in the end, he was safe and everything worked for his benefit. Well, this was only the first of one of his many escapes. In Acts chapter 16, we see one of Paul's most well-known escapes. It says that one day, Paul and Silas were leaving the place of prayer, and a woman slave was waiting for them by order of her owners. And this woman had a spirit residing in her that allowed her to predict the future 
And she proceeded to follow them around, proclaiming that they were servants of God. Now her shouts, well, they grew very annoying to Paul. So he turned around, and he ordered the spirit to leave her, and immediately it was gone. And when her owners realized that they wouldn't be able to make any more money this way by drawing the people into the apostles and demanding money to see them, they took Paul and Silas to the authorities. And the, slave, the slave's owners claimed they were Jews, and so Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and jeered at by the gathering crowd. Then when this was over, it says they were taken to jail, put in the innermost cell, and then their feet were fastened in iron stocks. But that night, a miracle happened. An earthquake shook the foundation of the prison, and their chains and the doors were immediately unlocked. But did Paul and Silas take this as their opportunity to escape? Of course not. They stayed, and when the guard realized this, he went to them, and he asked how he might be saved. And as they spoke the word of God to him and all those in the prison, the jailer, well, he washed their wounds. And then he took them to his house, where everyone in his household was then baptized. The next morning, the officers came to release Paul and Silas, but Paul demanded they be walked out by the officers themselves. Let me tell you, this man has nerves of steel. I would never demand anything like that, especially in jail. And when they learned that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, the officers came to appease them and then proceeded to walk them out of the prison. That's incredible, right? Not only were they led out of prison by their captors, their wounds were dressed and treated, and they introduced an entire household to God in the process. I mean, most other people in their positions would have surely given up hope. But they didn't, did they? And nowhere in this story does it say that Paul or Silas felt despair for their current situation. Instead, before the earthquake started, it says they were quietly praying and singing hymns to the Lord. I feel like it would have been a very peaceful, carefree way to pass the time. Now that there is having hope for the future. I mean... Paul and Silas had faith that God would get them through their situation. And they knew that God had promised them a future. And that was enough for them. Does that sound familiar? It might not, but it should. Because in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, like Cooper just read for us, um, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I mentioned earlier that Advent marks the start of a new year, and let me tell you, I am ready for this year to be over. In the midst of this crazy year that is 2020, it can be really hard to look ahead. You know, we're longing for this pandemic to be over, for the time when we can go outside and just take a deep breath of fresh air without sucking the fabric of our masks of our masks into our mouths, you know? We can't make plans because we don't know when it'll be safe to go outside and resume our lives. But look back at this verse. It says that God 
has plans to prosper us that won't harm us. He has plans to give us hope and a future. I mean, that's it then. I don't know if it can be more cut and dry than that. Good moments are coming. It's set in stone. We may not be able to see them right now, but I mean, we don't have to. All we have to do is have faith and hope for the future that God will provide us. I mean, hope, hope is a powerful thing. And, you know, as we're getting ready to leave here today, I just, I hope to impart on you some hope for the future. So, last year, there was a pastor that lost his wife of 58 years. And for seven months, he threw himself at his work, speaking and writing every chance that he got. And he told everyone, including himself, that he was okay. But come that Christmas, he said that sadness hit him like a shockwave. It was the first time in 58 years that he would spend Christmas without his wife. Feelings he didn't know what to do with started to well up inside of him. The only person that he would have trusted with those feelings was gone, and so there was no changing that, so, I mean, he was stuck. He felt incredibly alone, despite his children and their children being around him. Eventually, as they were unwrapping presents, there was only one left. It was a simple thing, a sketch of his late wife from a photograph of her, drawn by one of his granddaughters. But the sketch brought out all those sad feelings again, and with nowhere to go, they raged like a storm in his heart. He muttered a thank you, and then they quickly moved on to the kitchen for dinner. And then even during dinner, the pastor couldn't find peace. One of his daughters had made sweet potato souffle, a specialty of his late wife and his personal favorite of all her dishes. But that night, it just didn't taste the same. Before very long, the pastor excused himself, and he walked to a park that was about a mile away. All he really wanted was some time alone to think, and walking was something of a ritual for both him and his late wife, so it was very calming for him. And when he got to the park, he sunk down on a bench, wrapped his arms tight around himself, and he started rocking back and forth. And he said, nothing in particular, I'm so lonely without her. But then he looked up at the sky. It was dark and messy with gray clouds, but in them he saw a figure. The figure had his arms spread wide like a billowing cloak, and they were wrapped around a woman so much so that only her face was visible. And sure enough, it was his wife. There was nothing he was more sure of. And she seemed so happy, and her face was free of all the pain that she had felt in life. He could tell. And instantly, a sense of peace came over the pastor. He knew then that she was with God, and though bittersweet because she wasn't there with him, he took immense joy in that. And well, then the pastor headed back to his house, his footsteps this time a little lighter than before, and as soon as he walked in, he told everyone how much he missed their mother. 
And then they sat down in the family room, and they spent time reminiscing about Christmas's past, fondly remembering the role the pastor's wife played in making them so memorable. And there on the mantle, someone had set the sketch of his wife so that she would always be there with them. Now the pastor in that story was hurting, probably the most intense hurt he'd ever felt. And make no mistake, hurt happens. There's no avoiding it. That's just a fact of life. But when he was at his lowest, the pastor turned to God, and he instantly found peace. His grief was still there with him, and he knew that God wouldn't just magically whisk it away in that moment. But he put his faith in God, and he started to hope for the future that he had planned for him. And this has been a miserable year. It's really just one thing after another. I don't think anything more can surprise me. But guess what? This too shall pass. There is a future for all of us, not free of strife per se, but free of these most recent trials. I think that's what we need most. And all we have to do is hope for it, And wait. Now God called Paul regardless of his past. And with that call came a promise. The promise of a different future. A different life than the one he was living. A future filled with hope. And get this. He's calling you too. It's a tough road. And there will certainly be pain along the way. But there will be peace that comes with the hope of a future with God. So move past this year. Move past the mistakes you've made. The worst. That's behind us. And tomorrow is a brand new day because God has plans for us. Trust in that. Will you pray with me? Lord, what a year. Um, it, uh, it has just been, at least for me, it was just one of the most difficult years I've ever experienced. And I'm sure that a lot of us here are feeling that same way. But Lord, I pray that you will just be there with us like you always are and that you'll put your hand on our shoulder and that you'll... Whisper in, our, whisper in our ear and just tell us to have hope because you have written the future and it, it is good. Lord, I pray that as we head out from here today and as we take the cup later and the bread, that you will just fill us with hope for the future because, I mean, we know that This too shall pass. And Lord, I pray that as we go on from here that you will just instill that hope in all of us. All these things I pray in your name. Amen.